it's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. On this episode, Rob Davio and Justin Jacobson join the guys to reveal Restoration Games' complete lineup for 2019. Marty and Tony also preview games currently on Kickstarter, and In a Nutshell is back where the guys discuss recently played games. Marty, you are going to sweep up these shells, right? Hello, and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 166. See, it will come back. <laughs> this, this is Marty. <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically take number three, right? Right. Let's see, what was the first problem? The first problem is we started telling a story that we thought we had told before, but realized we hadn't. Restart, spent 30 minutes recording an an amazing episode. Then Tony realized he forgot to press record on his side. So we're trying it again. You know, why don't we just go to the end? (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. I mean, hey, we got an amazing interview with Rob Davio and Justin Jacobson. And why do we need to even talk? I mean, we've got a few commitments in this episode, but hey, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> Obviously, we don't because we are such professionals after six years. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. All right. So recap for those of you who might have missed it. <laughs> recap for those who totally missed the first two times we talked about it. We went to Tantrum Con. Oh, had, yeah, we did. Remember that? That was oh, good times. Good, good times. times. <laughs> good times. We had a blast. We got to see Richard Lanius. Got oh, to yeah. See, got to see one of his new prototypes that he's helping um, the Saddler. Well, I'm sorry, not helping. He and the Saddler brothers are working together. That is Defenders of Champion City, a hero-based game that around his Defenders of the Realm type series. We didn't finish it, but we got to play through a lot of it, and Richard mm-hmm. was sitting there doing his... Awesome. Do you think one of the Kickstarters could be for Richard to... Um, if they do a Kickstarter, maybe a, a level could be Richard would narrate the cards for you. Richard loves to do that stuff. Whenever we play a game, Richard gets so engrossed in the story. Last year when he taught us Arkham Horror 3rd Edition uh, during at our barbecue for Halloween, he would just read the cards and get all into it. That's just who he is. He's a storyteller. So as we're playing this game, he loved to read all the flavor text and everything. And I'm glad you actually paid attention because typically when I read flavor text, you would just totally ignore me. Well, if you would put the emphasis in the words like he did and or finish one up and look at you and say, I don't care who you are, that's good writing. That's true. I really hope this game uh, comes out. I don't know what the status of it is. He's been working on it for a little while. He's not for sure either. But anyway, if you like Defenders of the Realm and you want a superhero-themed Defenders of the Realm game, this is it, and it's something that he's been working on. All right, well, hold on. I can't read where I marked off something we were supposed to talk about on my previous recording. Oh, that's it. It was the table flip we did at Tantrum Con. Yeah, so we were supposed to be part of this contest or something where they want us to compete against somebody else for flipping a table. But it was split up into two phases, and the first phase was we had this a folding table that sat in front of us, and they handed us a Monopoly game. And we had to set up the game as best as we could in 30 seconds, and then we were judged on who set it up best, I believe. That's right. They uh, Tantrum House would give out points for the two teams that set it up, and I basically just flipped the box over, and we, you and I scrambled to try to set it up but because of the shoe falling on the floor a lot of points were deducted from the rolling dice and taking names crew but we redeemed ourselves 
Oh, yes, we did. In the uh, table flipping portion, as before we flipped, Tony and I had already discussed how to produce the best carnage that we could. And we felt if we got a lot of height on the table, just lift it straight up and push it right over, that will just pieces will fly everywhere. So that's exactly what they did. We did. They counted down three, two, one. We lifted straight up, pushed out, and lo and behold, if that table didn't do a complete 360 on its axis and land back standing up on its legs. Amazing. I mean, you know, it's a good thing that we, the legs didn't catch us in our manly parts. I guess that should have been step number one. Number one, avoid the legs as they rotate so they don't catch you in the crotch. That's right. That would have been even funnier, but the table flipping. People were replaying it while we were standing there validating. It was kind of like the referees were going over to the booth and make a call (laughs) and make sure that it did do a full 360 and land on its legs. Because nobody could believe it. Kevin even came up and said, did y'all flip the table? And we went, well, yeah, we pushed it up. No, he said, did y'all just push it out of the way? I said, no, we flipped it. He said, you actually, it flipped. It happened so fast. A lot of physics going on there, Tony. We created the, the right angular momentum to get that sucker to flip on its axis. I had just the right height, just the right momentum behind it so it didn't overflip or underflip. I wish we could claim that that was our plan all along, but it was just dumb luck. And that's what we're best at. Just dumb luck. I hope they release a video of that at some point in time so we can share it because it was hilarious. People just died after I was stunned. I remember they showed a little bit of footage like on uh, Instagram or or Twitter on something. I'm just like, uh, did that just happen? Anyway, very, very cool moment. If you have never been to a tantrum con, I highly recommend going. They put on a fantastic show. Uh, They're gracious hosts. They run a wonderful event with prizes and they got a good vendor room and they take care of you with, with cheap snacks and everything. If you want to get while you're there, they'll be doing it again next year. I think maybe in the same hotel. So make sure you go follow tantrum house and not only their wonderful content they put on YouTube, but check out their con when it comes around again. Again next year. Now, another thing I want to mention is the continued internet proofing for me. Yes, let's go back in time, shall we? It was a couple years ago when you struggled with remembering what our web uh, site was. Uh, you were say rolling dice, taking names, rolling and taking names, roll dice, taking names. It was like, no, no, it was just roll dice, take names. I was trying to keep it short. Well, since you struggled with it so much, I went out and grabbed rollingdiceandtakingnames.com just to make it easier on you. And I thought, okay, that, that's good for him. But then, then we started using Pod Pledge, uh, which is basically where you can go and support the show uh, with donation, donations to the show, which will have a new campaign running soon, so keep an eye out for that. But you could not get the word podpledge.com out of your mouth. For some reason, it came out. Podge Pledge. After enough times of this, the curator of that site, the guy who invented it, Chaz Marler from Paradise Paradise, said enough is enough. People aren't getting there the way they're supposed to because Tony won't say the right words. So he registered podgepledge.com so that now people can go there. But that wasn't enough. No, it should never be enough. You should always protect the, the ones who just, they just can't get it. They, they, they can't get a grasp of it. I'm sorry. Paradise, paradise, pod, pledge, pod. It's not pledge. paradise, paradise. You're saying paradise twice. It's pair of dice, paradise. Fine. Pair of dice, paradise. 
Or you just go Paradise Paradise. Did I create the name of that? No. No, you didn't. I blame Chaz. Hey, at least I have a legitimate Squirrely Award now. Thank you, Chaz, for legitimizing our Squirrely Awards. I appreciate oh, you mean from the uh, the wonderful Squirrelies episode that we just had? Thank you for all those that listened and all those that participated. But you're making me steer off track here. That's only I can do. So who else has made the internet safe for me? Every time that we do a portal commercial, yes, we struggle with remembering what the exact URL is for English-speaking folks. Because it's not portal.com. It's not portalgames.com. It's portalgames.pl slash en, yes. which is the .pl is registered in Poland, which is where they're from, and the slash en is for the English version. Which, well, hold on, hold on. After four years of practice, we now pretty well have it down, portalgames.pl slash en. I mean, it just rolls right off the tongue. It does, but guess what? You're going to have to get used to a brand new one as our buddy Ignacy, uh, again, and helping you out, has come out with portalgamesus.com. And that is all lowercase portalgames, capital US.com. Does, does that matter having the US capital? It matters not. That's why I was going to say it's case insensitive. You can use upper and lower combinations, whatever you want. But they have a new portal for the United States because they're going to be shipping games out of the U.S. So they're setting up their store now. So if you're in the U.S. and you want to order from there, you go to portalgamesus.com. Once again, thank you, Ignacy, for making Tony's job easier. Everybody should make my job easier, including yours. You should have come over here and pushed the record button for me. <laughs> But I will say, Tony, (laughs) our first two recordings of this segment that we're now just wrapping up was twice as long as the one we just did. (laughs) So our listeners should be thanking me. That's right. You you missed topics on hepatitis A shots. You probably missed a lawnmower discussion somewhere. Oh, what else do they miss? Oh, who knows? But what they're not going to miss is uh, we're bringing back a segment that we started uh, a couple months ago that we haven't done in a while because uh, who knows why it's called in a nutshell where we go out and we discuss games that we've got to play and we don't want to do our full five minute initiative, but we do want to talk about them because we had such great experience with them. So Marty, let's go do in a nutshell. Since we haven't got to talk about games over the past couple of weeks, we've got several games to the table. We just wanted to run over real quick. And one of them, Tony, was one that you taught to me at Tantrum Con, which was called Kapow. Kapow. Bam. Biff. Boom. Bam. Kapow. <laughs> yes. I feel like I'm watching a 60s Batman episode. And even after the third recording, you didn't expect that, did you? I did not. That was a new one, everybody. I was not expecting that. That's right. We were given the opportunity to play Kapow from Two-Ton Porcupine. They sent it to us, and it's a dice chucker. I'm going to be straight up with y'all. It is a pure dice chucking game. Oh, and you know, I like Strike. Okay, I love Strike, but this game is right there in my wheelhouse. You are a superhero battling a supervillain, and it is up to you, one of you to defeat the other, to take them down. And the way you do that is you have dice that are various colors that have the certain combinations of like strength and atom and all these other type of combinations. And then you have a plain dice that has no 
symbols on its face. That is what your starting pool is. And over the course of the game, with that one dice, think of Dice Forge, if you've ever played that, you will be manipulating the face of that die. Or you may be adding some of these other trait dice into your pool. And by doing that, when you roll those dice on your turn, you can assign those dice to either your attack or your defense based on their faces. Or you may be able to manipulate, change that one die I just mentioned, or give yourself some other special benefits. Either way, Marty, when we were playing this game, it starts out slow, but man, within 15 minutes, it's over. It ramps up quick. Yeah, exactly. Because in the first couple turns, you may be rolling just a few dice, maybe doing a, a point of damage here and there. But if you're smart, you'll assign your damage to accumulating more dice or changing the sides of that one particular die and getting more of the size that you need to create some really cool combos for attacking. And you can attack. You add in kickers, you add in multipliers. When you had enough dice available, that means you could really do a hefty amount of damage. Somebody else could do a lot of blocking, but if they didn't, going you may be taking one or two damage early on but maybe nine to ten later which makes the game go really quick as you've only got 20 to 25 life i like that i like how it ramps up i also like the fact that you got different characters and each of the character has a unique ability they may have passive abilities or special abilities that you can activate with dice that others don't have uh really solid little dice chucking game with a great theme and one of the things about this that I, I enjoyed about it was the fact that, you know, other than having to reset the faces along that, along that mm -hmm. way, you, uh, I got to get over it. My fingers couldn't get in there. I had my fingernails cut and I couldn't pop off the faces. But what I, what I enjoyed most was that if you had the right combination of dice, you could lock in your base attacks or defense and you wouldn't have to assign dice later. And that really ramped it up quick because I was able to do that in a later game. Also, one of the things about your everybody's like, oh, there's no strategy to this. You need to be watching which dice that opponent is picking up because that may change the flavor of the game or change your strategy. All in all, it's one of those quick games that maybe while I'm waiting on another game, someone's sitting there where we're waiting a game to finish up, we'll roll this bad boy out. No setup involved. Just boom. It's ready to go. Let's roll it. And let's, let's kick some superhero butt or villain. And another one that was similar, except that it was card-based combat, two-player game where you could fight each other, was Combo Fighter. Uh, this was published by Colossal Games by designer Asger Johansson. And this is a card-based driven combat game where each of you have a unique deck based on a certain character. And the idea is you're trying to mimic a fighting arcade game, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Super Mario Smash, which I'm playing a lot of uh, right now. By the way, you need to go get a Switch. But anyway, with this game, you are going to play a card from your hand, and there's three different types of cards. There's defense, there's attacks, and there's like, not move cards, but where you like, like slight change position and get in position to attack and everything. And you put your card face down and you flip over, and it's basically like a rock, paper, scissors mechanic, where depending on what the other person played determines whether you landed a punch or, or or won that particular battle a defense card always beats a uh, attack card attack card uh, defeats a positioning card and positioning beats a defend if you happen to win the battle then here's where comes the part of the strategy because you can create a combo tony you know how in games like uh some of the fighting games where you land that punch and you start button mashing and just land a bunch of start wailing on the person i was gonna say i used to know but no i'm not gonna take that bait about the switch no i'm not no i'm not gonna talk about 
about it. I want one. So after that first card, there's icons underneath uh, the title of the card. Uh, it could be a certain shape and a certain color. And every card has a, a, a certain shape and icon on top left of the card. And what happens is if you can play a card that matches what's beneath the on the card you just played, maybe it has like two or three options. Maybe it says, hey, if you have a blue square or a red triangle and you play it, you can add to this combo. And so if you play another one of those cards, you can keep doing so with additional cards, which just racks up the number of damage that you do during that turn. Once you're done, the other person who takes damage must discard one card from their hand or one card from the deck for each damage taken. And once the deck is empty, that but basically counts as their life. They become stunned or staggered. They take one more point of damage and then they're out of the game. And that's the whole concept. But Tony, you had said in our previous recording, which made a very good point, that there is some strategy in this game. Yes, there is. And if you want to just go cut me in and then I don't have to talk anymore. I would cut you in, except you didn't record that part. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, the strategy is... Now, I'll, I'll admit, when we first started playing this, this luck of rock, paper, scissors, just, mm, eh, mm, had, I was sitting there thinking, where, where's, where's the strategy? What am I doing? Well, it shows up near the end. Because if you're paying attention, then you can know what cards they've played, and then you can figure out, hey, it's not like the initial start of it, like where it's war, like the four beats, you know, the four beats the three and the six beats the five. No, you can say, well, he's played a lot of red cards. Maybe... He's down on his attack, so I know that he's going to be playing a defense card, so I need to play this card. Or mm -hmm. better yet, he's playing a dodge, so I know I can do the attack cards. So it starts to come together over the course of the game. Now, it does ramp up because, you know, there, there's some special cards because each character had a special card. Like one of mine had this uh, staff that would multiply damage or something like that. So you got to keep that in mind as well. So it, it it fell flat at the beginning, but I kind of enjoyed it near the end because I especially liked the strategy once I caught on to it. Again, that's another solid quick game. Probably takes 15 to 20 minutes. It was a Kickstarter from Colossal, but now it's out and available. Tony, we got to play another one. That was a game that our friend Mark Hale brought to the table, and this was Tudor from Academy Games. And this game I saw actually last year at Origins, and you couldn't help but notice it because this game consists of a cardboard hand with his fingers stretched out that you can take these nice plastic rings and put onto the fingers. It's one of those things with Tony, when you first see, it's like, whoa, what is that? And that's exactly what we said, especially when we kept knocking the hands over. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. They kind of did get in the way. It's like, let me move my piece on the board. Oh man, there goes my hand. I kind of wanted to just put them on my hand, but then I would be afraid that my, the rings would get stuck on my fingers, you know? Maybe that would have helped you understand, okay, the positioning. All right. We're getting ahead of ourselves as we always do here at Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This game, victory point game, go get out, get you some victory points. How you do it depends on... Now, this was a neat part of the game, Arnie. The victory point conditions were set by a flip of a random card at the beginning. In the game we played, you got victory points for making it to the top of the throne room, uh, mm -hmm. sitting at the various chairs. Now... You have a, some workers over on the, in the throne room who are going out and they're moving throughout the throne room trying to collect discs that help you in your set collection, which may be part of the victory conditions. But for me, the real game is down in the audience rooms. Now, follow along, everybody. So you're Oh, playing. boy, here we go. Here Remember, we go. Let, let's see if you can make it shorter than you did our last recording. Oh, yeah, I can make it shorter. It won't make any more sense. But <laughs> so You've had practice now. I've had practice. So... 
what you're doing is you're placing your courtier, or let's just call them workers because I'm sure I'll mess it up. They are going, there are three audience rooms. And on your turn, you place a courtier worker out in front of an audience room, and then you go around until everybody has placed their workers. Then they move into an audience room. These audience rooms have the powers that those people can do or perform. You pick either this one or that one. Also on your turn, you have the ability to assign a lord, a noble, to a room as well, and they get to do both actions. However, if the audience room does not have a noble in it, then nobody gets to do anything. That's how you manipulate the guys over in the throne room. You have to be able to have special cards to move them as well as the action that's associated with it. You may need to be exchanging cards. That's another audience room. There's a lot of that planning and strategizing on how you're going to use those so you can collect those discs. Did I do okay? Yeah, yeah, you did really well. One of the things that confused me was when you get the rings and how you order them on your fingers, because the different way you order them will give you different abilities depending on which room that you're in. You may say, it may say, hey, if you got uh, rings on your first three fingers, then you get this ability when you have somebody in this room. Or if you have it on the pinky and the thumb, you may get this ability. If you have this particular color, you get this. I was constantly having to refer to the, the sheet or the card, tell me what the combinations do. And there was just a lot going on with the rings. It's one of those, it takes multiple plays so that you kind of memorize the order of the rings, the fellowship of the rings and how they uh, work together. So it's one of those things that I definitely need to play again. I love the mechanics of, of the workers going uh, basically out to the tables and they may be knocked out. And I like how you, the goal of the game is basically move up these, these tracks and try to be the first to get to the top and get points. I like the theme of the game. It's just getting those rings and how they work all down. So it's one of those uh, games, Tony, that you typically don't see from Academy games. You know, they make the historical games like the, the 878 Vikings or the uh, Revolutionary War game or the, uh, that was it, the Conflict of Heroes, Mari Nostrum, which we like. So I'm mm -hmm. used to these historical battle type games. So this is a different type of game for them, but it's cool to see them try and do something different. Would you say it's lighter than those games? Oh, uh, well, it depends on which of the games. Cause some, I mean, it's lighter than Mari Nostrum for sure. Okay. Then that's, see, that's our litmus test right there. Cause we both love uh, Mari Nostrum a ton, yes. a bunch, a whole lot. A lot. But tutors, I mean, for me, <sighs> I guess one of the things is over time, when if you keep playing this game, that you're going to be sitting there thinking, okay, how do I manipulate the guys in the throne? And you'll get those special actions, how you boost up the rings. Because one of the challenges in that game, Marty, was getting additional rings. You start with two rings, not one ring to rule them all, but two rings. You can't move them. You place them on your hand. You can't move them unless you add a ring or lose a ring. Right. And the only way to add a ring is if you make it to the top of the throne room in one of the columns, then you can add it. And if someone bumps you off of your throne, then they get to take a ring from you and then you get to re-manipulate your ring. So that's how you're saying. So there's the conflict. There's, ooh, how are they going coming after my rings or how do I get to add rings? And the ring colors matter a ton because they determine what type of cards you get to pick up. And you're right. There is a lot going on here and remembering uh, the strategy that you're trying to develop. And it can change on you when those rings get moved on you. That can really mess up your moves. I highly recommend for me that you give this game a try. It may not be your cup of tea, but definitely give it a shot. I mean, the game was growing on me over time. All right, we've teased it enough. Let's go ahead and get over to our special guest on tonight's show, Rob and Justin from Restoration Games. 
head over to miniaturemarket.com where you may pick up your own copy of Kapow or Tudors if they sounded interesting to you. Or if you're just over there, be sure to check out the drop. I know I do it daily as I look and see what's coming in, what the low price is for that game that maybe I want to buy tomorrow. I'll roll the dice and see if I'm lucky enough to possibly pick up that copy. Or better yet, do what I always do. Check the daily updates for the restocking guide or what's new on pre-order so you can jump on that. Or better yet, what just arrived. All that can be found right there on the front page of miniaturemarket.com. Be sure to check them out at miniaturemarket.com. Well, back again to join Rolling Dice and Taking Aim are two of the greats and the board game hobby. But Marty, before we, we do our casual introduction, I would like to read a section from It's All a Game, The History of Board Games from Monopoly to Settlers of Catan, or Catan by Tristan Donovan. To the design principles honed in Germany during the 80s and 90s are even influencing the development of board gaming perennials with Monopoly Empire abandoning player elimination and Risk Star Wars Edition requiring players to plan ahead and balance competing priorities. Boldest of all was Rob Davio's Risk Legacy, released in 2011. Risk Legacy transformed the popular war game into an ongoing campaign spread over multiple games. Ah, Marty, I say, have you ever been quoted in a book? I can't say that I have, no. But our guest, Rob Davio, and his trusty sidekick, Justin Jacobson, has been quoted in the book. I, I throw it. I am going to sit back with my tub of popcorn from the movie <laughs> that I didn't eat. <laughs> and I am just going to let these two mesmerize our audience gentlemen welcome back to rolling dice and taking names i don't know what to make of what just happened there's a lot to unpack there yeah <laughs> i'm wondering how justin the president of the company became my sidekick for starters that one i thought was a good start i have been quoted in a book before it's it's a book about debt collection in florida but i have been quoted <laughs> <laughs> and and also i've i've been in the police ledger a number of times so just- and, and for those who obviously can't see Tony actually has a huge tub of popcorn and I'm extremely jealous because I love popcorn. Well, they can hear it. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Yes, they can. Yeah. What'd you go see tonight? Um, We went and saw Cold Pursuit, which you have to go see. Cold Pursuit. What is that about? Liam Neeson. And it's, it is like every other Liam Neeson, right? I haven't seen it, but it looks like, no, Oh, no. Okay. I'm not going to spoil anything, but this is my um, bucket from being a Regal Prime member for $20 every year. I get a free bucket of popcorn and a free giant soda for my birthday month. That's nice. And on the, after your birthday month, you get a free angioplasty. (laughs) <laughs> that's exactly right i didn't put butter on it I, I'm, I'm healthy i've seen the size of that drink i think we need to plan ahead for when the uh, restroom break is going to be <laughs> well uh, tony you did set us up pretty well that's uh that was i had no idea where he was going see tony just drops this stuff on me i have no idea what's going to happen i had no idea there was going to be a quote or a tub of popcorn or a large drink so the, the b- behind the book there is I was standing in the library um, in the there is a board game section in the downtown library and there were various books and I had heard of the book that talked about the history of Monopoly so they had it and I went and checked it I went to go check it out and while I was standing there that book um, was standing there and I was flipping through it and some mag- I'm not kidding you guys it was like an omen I'm standing there magically that book opens uh, exactly to that page and there's Rob's name and I go. 
oh, I'm checking this book out. Forget this other one. Yeah, I got to read great. all of this. Yeah. The the secret is I'm on every page. It's like, where's Waldo? <laughs> I, I've read the whole book and I'm sorry, sir. That's that's no, the that's one reference. <laughs> that's, okay. I wasn't going to say that. You made me bring that up. Right. By, the, by the way, how are the tobacco fields going in Hobbit Town? Last time we talked, you were going to plant some for our Lord of the Rings RPG. Who are you talking to? I was going to say that. I have no idea. Do you not remember the last time you were on with us? You talked about you were going to be on the Lord of the Rings RPG with us, but you wanted us to mail you and you were going to respond back how the fields were doing and producing. No, you're thinking of a different guy. No, (laughs) because we recorded it twice. Yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> Maybe the second one I slept walk through, but I don't remember that. Uh, there is. I, I do remember you had a. I think it was scotch for the second one. So that uh, might yeah. have been. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Maybe that's true. The, the scotch actually explains why I don't remember suddenly de- developing an affinity or interest at all in tobacco. I was going to say why you don't remember it and why you agreed to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would love to do a Lord of the Rings role playing game with or without pretend tobacco i have no interest in the real stuff i thought you were gonna say with or without tony but okay no <laughs> no tony and i are cool yeah we sh- we we broke bread okay he dripped bread dough on me when he was in charlotte but that's okay i'm good with that tony did you get to try that bread uh i had to go and be on a conference call for work that's what i thought so uh if y'all remember uh rob came into town about i don't know about a month ago with his friends yeah. and and graciously invited tony and i over and rob made homemade bread with focaccia two loaves yeah. i don't i don't know what that means but it was two loaves of <laughs> what he said uh, focaccia very very thick deep dish pizza dough if you want to shorthand it but it was good bread the weird thing was it it, it was a vacation rental house so you expect not to have a great kitchen so i bought uh, brought a scale and I brought a little thermometer because it was easy to pack in the bag. But when I got there, there was no measuring cups or spoons. So I had to make bread by eyeballing things like three-eighths of a teaspoon of yeast mixed with one and a quarter cups water. I'm like, ah, I've been cooking a while. Let's see how this goes. Turned out all right. And that, yeah, so when you showed up, Tony, it's because there was no mixer. So I had to mix it all with my hand. And it was a very wet dough being focaccia. And you showed up, you're like, hey – and I just was covered in focaccia dough all over my hands. And then as we were playing a game of Everdale, uh, he had to take breaks every so often and go check the bread. To do folds, yeah. For those of you who don't know that about bread, you have to go do folds. You now, have if, to you do need folds. It, if you need it too much, something happens. I forget. Does it break down? What's it, what's it do? Yeah. I mean, I don't know a ton about bread. I'm trying to get better at it. But yes, bread is one of those things that's like the Goldilocks. You don't want it too hot. You don't want it too cold. You don't want to need it too little. You don't want to need it too much. You want to proof it too little. You don't want to proof it too much. Uh, kneading it, I imagine, would make it uh, tough. You'd activate too much gluten, which would constrict it. And so the, the dough would be dense and, and overly tough. Justin's nodding sagaciously. <laughs> oh, crap, Marty. I forgot the dictionary. Yeah. This word a day calendar is paying off tremendously. <laughs> He's like our Alton Brown, Tony. Everything he just said sounded really nice and scientific. I didn't understand a word he said, though. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, Justin, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. <laughs> are, are you making any bread or anything? No, on, are you on the contrary. Uh, my oven broke. And uh, it's been on the, and we just found out that it's been too expensive to repair. And the the really so this is a super <laughs> so we can replace the oven. It's one of those drop ins oven stove combo deal. So we could certainly replace that. But we've been wanting to redo the kitchen. So it feels weird to buy a new appliance if you want to redo the. So but we're like 
also feels weird to redo an entire kitchen just to, because your oven broke. So we're kind of in limbo right now deciding what to do. Unless you buy a special like double oven if you don't already have one and therefore you need to widen the hole, which then causes you to have to redo the kitchen. This sounds like you're speaking from experience. <laughs> It's how every remodel goes. It's how it works. Like, I, oh, I need to expand my stovetop um, to get five burners with a full grate across it. Oh, look, it's two inches too big. Oh, great. Now I got to take up the countertop. Oh, great. Look what I did to the backsplash. Well, crap. And are you sure it broke or was it broken? <laughs> which, which one? No, it's like shorted out. So it's we had to take add root. Yeah, it's like the only expensive part of an oven. The brain. Well, gentlemen, the last time we had you on, um, we we predicted and we were correct about the million dollar Kickstarter on um, <clears throat> a certain box that Rob has sitting over on his back shelf back there. Yeah, Fireball Island. People Ooh. can't see Tony. I keep telling you this is audio, not video. Well, they should know what hit a million dollars, and they should be able no, to. Infer. No, no. Okay, okay. You always assume that people don't know what you're talking about, and so when you're talking, trust me, people don't know what you're talking about. And right when I'm talking they don't know what i'm talking about even when i do make perfect sense so yes fireball allen congratulations thank you very much thank you and a squirrely wook will look amazing next to that big wooden meeple behind you i can't wait I, I started listening to the episode but i haven't gotten to our our segment yet so i don't even know who introduces us i'm looking forward to it no spoilers you can tell me <laughs> Yeah, so in our last episode, uh, these guys won a squirrely for the Necro game, which is a game where people will take a game from the past, change it, alter it, bring it back to life, and uh, Fireball Island won that for us this year. So at Gen Con, gentlemen, you will be receiving the coveted Wooden Squirrely Award. So I know you guys joke about this all the time, but I actually, I mean, I never get awards when I was an attorney. Like they don't give out awards for attorneys <laughs> other than <laughs> jury awards. So I have all like every award I've ever gotten from, you know, the, the Dice Tower Awards and uh, we got something from Panda once just because we, you know, make games with them. I have all these little plaques and stuff up on my on my bookshelf. <laughs> You could slide the dice tower down. That's that's nothing compared to this. Trust me. Wait till you see this thing. Yeah, we figured Rob would be throwing it on the grill as he takes care of some beautiful steak that he's marinated. Ooh. Some salmon. Ooh. And then don't you do salmon on a, a plank of wood or Ooh. something? I probably have done it once. I can do it. You want to come swing by? We'll do plank salmon. It's a very Northwest preparation. Yeah, the squirrelies aren't made out of cedar, Marty, so I'm not really sure oh, what, oh, okay. what flavor is going to come through. <laughs> it's just covered in like just you know, varnish, and I'm trying to cook food on it. <laughs> Polyurethane. Yeah. Mm, tastes That's good. really good. It gives a nice coat to it. That flame's got a nice blue hue to it. Yeah. <laughs> and he thinks we paid for the polyurethane. <laughs> Seriously, thank you for the award. Hopefully, if we do our job right, we should have at least a nominee every year. Because right? that's what we do is just necromancy. That's a good point. And this year it's going to be the big Kickstarter is Return to Dark Tower. Is that the official name? Return to Dark Tower. That'll be our Kickstarter this year with release in 2020. It's a big game. I just spent an hour and a half on the phone talking about this game with someone and getting trying to get all these pieces to come together. Well, it's funny. I mean, we did Fireball Island and it was unbelievable design challenge and development challenge with the three-dimensional boards and all that. 
And as we're nearing the end, we're like, it's like the end of a marathon. We're all exhausted. We're like, we are never doing anything like that again. Like, forget that. And now we've decided instead to take on this new game that in many ways is like Fireball Island to the nth power. Because it's basically Fireball Island with electronics. <laughs> so And mechanics. Yeah. It's got electronics and mechanics and apps and plastics and cardboard and stuff and a bigger game you know and a co-designer and it's just it's a lot of moving parts literally literally and figuratively yeah that's another million dollar plus kickstarter right there i'm calling it right now okay thank you thank you you're committed now to top it off if we don't get there (laughs) (laughs) when are you scheduling to release that kickstarter after gen con we don't have an exact date we'll know by we'll know by gen con third quarter fourth quarter one of those two before the end (laughs) after gen con but before the end of the year and i'm not trying to be super cagey i just don't want to lock down a date and then have to push it back it's for budgeting purposes gentlemen budgeting purposes marty wants me to buy a switch so i have to budget my money wisely i do want him to buy a switch yeah we're going to blow that up for you with our Dark Tower thing. It's going to be cool. Sweet. Nice. Will, it, will the Switch be able to play it? You know, have an app release? Uh, like not, yeah, for like, Stop Thief? No, but sure. Everything. We're just going to put it all in. It's just nice. Switch, augmented reality, Switch, virtual reality. It'll it'll talk to your motorcycle. Uh, we got everything going on. Confirmed Nintendo Switch app support. Sweet. Oh, that is when not happening. That is not happening. <laughs> Why is my eye twitching? <laughs> Come on, Justin. Make this happen. Think about Stop Thief on the Switch on my big TV. This is happening. Why does it need to be on the Switch, though? You can do that right now. Just, you know, airdrop it, right? Isn't that what the kids do? If you got an iPhone, yeah. Yeah. But the reason why you would have you guys on is not for a game that's going to be kickstarted later on in the year. At the release of this episode, you two gentlemen will be in Reno, Nevada for the Gamma Trade Show, where you will be announcing some games that will be coming out, including one big one that will be out at Gen Con. That is correct. Justin will be at Reno. I will not... And the name of our game is... Tony, stop. Oh, <laughs> you're annoying me. Jeez. Unmatched. Is that like the match game? No, it's not <laughs> like the match game. Unmatched is our restoration of a 2002 game by the name of Epic Duels, which was Ooh. a game put out by Milton Bradley and had a Star Wars license, and it was a entry-level tactical miniatures battling game card driven very skirmish one-on-one two versus two plays in anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes depending on how you're and we went back we looked at that and we thought there's a real opportunity for something lighter and sort of breezier and you know where you can mix and match and we started thinking about what we could do with this license and what we ended up with was something unmatched and the tagline is in bat in battle there are no equals because it's all about asymmetric battling now we don't have the star wars license yet (laughs) Yet. (laughs) well justin's right down there in florida he can go talk to disney real quick that's it you just go to disney world show your florida uh residence id and you get a a star wars license yeah so i mean rob says yet because there's a lot more to this announcement uh which we're really excited about it's the one we've been sort of holding off sort of till the last minute to make the announcement because there's a lot of moving parts to it and we wanted to Make sure everything was in place and it could make the full announcement when we did. So there's a lot more to this to unpack, as you say. So one of the reasons Rob said yet is because one of the other big parts of the announcement is that we are partnering with another company uh, to do some additions or some versions in the line. And that company is Mondo Games. 
the reason why I say that addition is sort of a weird situation. Each product in the line is going to be standalone. You can just play that version, just fight those fighters. Or you can mix and match between any of the sets. So that's what's a lot of fun. So, for example, uh, the very first sets, we're doing two sets at launch. One is called Battle of Legends Volume 1. And that features four heroes, uh, Alice, King Arthur, Sinbad, and Medusa. And so when you fight, it's two or four players. You can fight any two or four. that You're going to fight all four of them and mix and match. And then the other set we're releasing at launch is Robin Hood versus Bigfoot. Which is the battle everyone's been looking for. Oh, oh yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I'm waiting for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and when you say Alice, I like to tell people it's Alice in Wonderland, but a really badass version of her. Like, she's lived in Wonderland and gone very ferocious with things. Nice. She's eaten too many mushrooms? Well, she has the Vorpal Blade. She does have... <laughs> and her big... Th- she gets big and she gets small and uh, can use that to her Yeah, advantage. so she's a shape-changing, Vorpal Blade-wielding, sh- almost like mohawked. Alice, but still in the blue dress. It's a really cool Alice. All right. So, and I, I'm sorry. The I'll admit, I'm, I know I shouldn't have, but I've never heard of Epic Duels. So I went out and did a quick research of this. So is it going to play up to six players? Not in the first box because it's, it's just four figures that are in there. We have rules for one versus one and two versus two right now. We are doing a free-for-all, and then we're looking at doing rules, you know, once we have a couple more games or a couple more products out of three versus three or three teams of two. And so you can play up to six players. Obviously they take longer. We need to have bigger boards for those. So people aren't knife fighting in a phone booth, but right now it's two or four players just at launch. Um, but as Justin started to say, let's talk a little bit about how Mondo comes in. Well, I just uh, real quickly, well, okay, let's go with that. So yeah. So one of the things we liked about working with Mondo, we actually were looking for partners, uh, someone who can acquire licenses for various IPs that, they can we can do sets with and then also the other important thing is and we can talk about this some more later is that they've sort of got a really interesting they really pay attention to the visual style of their games uh, obviously in addition to their games department they do uh, posters and all of vinyl you know uh, records t-shirts pins all this kind of stuff and their stuff always looks amazing and so that was one of the reasons we wanted to work with them. I can't wait to show off some of the art. Uh, someone, one of them, uh, I believe it was their art director, Jay, said every card is a is a poster, basically. And it just does not look like any other card game you've ever seen. And not that this is a card game, but a game with cards. So I'm glad you said that because uh, a few episodes ago, I had talked about the time that we got to spend with Rob. And one of the most exciting things was watching uh, Rob's wife, Lindsay, work on the graphic design on the cards. Now, I couldn't say at the time what it was, but it was that. And the art and graphic design on these cards are beautiful. And it was so cool to see her sit there and manipulate and change font size and move things. Yes, Tony, I asked for bigger font size and got it. See, that's how it works, Ignacy. And, um, <laughs> and each of the characters has a unique card uh, style, right? A card graphic? Yeah, it has like a different background and different framing and, and, and sort of a different style. Like Alice in Wonderland looks like a trippy 70s psychedelic rock poster or sort mm. of like, or, you know, album cover. And like Sinbad's got this sort of Middle Eastern mandala style that's real sort of clean. And uh, yeah, so each each deck has, so that's one of the things about the game. One of the reasons we called it Unmatched. 
uh, it's sort of a double entendre, right? There are these peerless fighters who, you know, the winner is unmatched, but then also uh, a highly asymmetric game so that each hero has their own unique deck of cards that operates in a completely different way, um, sort of a different hook to them. Uh, the way they fight also should worth mentioning. Uh, each hero has their own miniature, um, and then each hero comes with a number of sidekicks. That number might be zero for some heroes. We'll talk about Bigfoot does not need a sidekick. Oh, he does have a sidekick. He does have a sidekick. Of course, he has a sidekick. He has the Jackalope, which is who I got. Who, that's who I played uh, while I was there. You did Bigfoot, uh, the Jackalope playtesting. Okay, yep. But we do have some that don't have sidekick. We'll talk about in a minute. But uh, so, for example, Medusa's got three harpies, and you know, um, King Arthur has Merlin, and Alice has the Jabberwock, and Robin's got his outlaws. Um, so they operate in very asymmetric ways. Because of that, we also wanted to sort of give each hero their own sort of unique look. It's probably also a good time to mention the artist. Uh, his name's Oliver Barrett amazing artist. He's done a lot of work for like magazines and things like that. He's done a lot of work for ESPN magazine, Sports Illustrated, does a lot of sports art. Uh, he did when Cleveland was, I forget, they were trying to keep uh, LeBron the second time. The city of Cleveland commissioned him to do a billboard, a big billboard of LeBron. And it's just amazing if you Google it and take it a look. It didn't work. No, it didn't. But it wasn't because of the billboard. <laughs> the billboard was amazing. <laughs> I, I'm going to say if uh, for Robin Hood, if you don't name the sidekicks men in tights, you've lost a golden opportunity right we there. We are not naming them men in tights. There's actually, Man! actually, we just saw the art for Robin Hood the other day. And I said, this is my favorite Robin Hood version ever. Cause I like a grittier outlaw, mm-hmm. you know, sort of rob from the rich, give to the poor sort of guy. And, you know, Robin Hood has a lot of men in tights and the twee little hat and the feather in it and stuff like that. <laughs> And I saw Oliver's art for this Robin Hood. I'm like, oh, this this guy's going to mess you up. Like, Bigfoot better watch out. If you want to get really down in the weeds of game design, they were called the Merry Men. But it became really weird because Merry Men was, first of all, one of them was made Marion. And mm. so it was a gender thing. And also, there's no real singular. You couldn't have a Merry Man. Like, one of the Merry Men may play this card was a lot of words. And then the font gets small, oh. right? And on there. So when you change the outlaw, it's got a singular and a plural and it's gender neutral. Like, these are the sort of hundreds of micro decisions you make. And it also mm-hmm. ended up fitting the art much better because it's grittier than Merry Men. So, yes, we did miss the men in tights and we did miss Merry Men, but it was due to those words being gender specific and not having a singular gotcha and grittier like we've been studying a lot of stuff like what who is it which king arthur is it is it the king arthur who probably existed in fifth century or sixth century britain or is it the king arthur that was personified in the 12th century or the one that was in the 14th century like what was his armor what was merle it's kind of um, i have a degree in history so it's fun to nerd out and start like thinking about these different cultural things like you know what is sinbad who's what What's Sinbad's character? How do you explain it when you're at Gen Con? You say, this is... A washed up comedian. Hey, hey, hey. We all have career arcs. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned miniatures. Now, I also was very excited to see some of your 3D renderings of some of these miniatures, and they are gorgeous. So tell us a little bit about the miniatures themselves. Uh, miniatures themselves are... Why am I drawing blank? 28 millimeter scale? 32. 32 millimeter scale. We are just looking to do like dynamic and interesting miniatures, right? They're all like battling. I don't really know what to say. Like we're trying not to do like a guy standing there with a sword, right? Mm-hmm. Just like this sort of thing where you can have some motion to him. And as we're playing around more with future sets, because we've got the two we've talked about, we're going to talk about a couple more 
briefly, but we've got two or three more like already on the docket and half designed and starting to do illustrations for miniatures. We're looking for something that the art looks like you want to make a poster and the miniatures you want to put on your desk. So pre-assembled, non-painted? Pre-assembled, non-painted with a wash though. All right. So kind of like what Wildlands did, Osprey Games and Wildlands. They're done in a gray with a dark gray wash. They will have a colored base on it like Alice's color is blue. So it'll have a blue base, which will match the blue on your deck. So it'll just remind you that you're the blue character. It looks like Alice, but it's a, a secondary visual cue. And then she's got the Jabberwock, which will be on a blue disc with a sticker. The sidekicks don't get don't get miniatures. They get discs. It differentiates them. So, you know, like I have to kill the other miniature. I can choose to wipe out the tokens along the way, but that's not my victory condition. We got some cool figures coming up, but we're getting ahead of ourselves on that. Uh, so we've heard about the miniatures. We know about the theme. How does it play? I mean, what does a player's act turn look like and, and how does it work? How do you win? Our goal with this and the reason why we looked at this game, as Rob said at the beginning, is that it's sort of it's an entry level miniatures skirmish game. It's easy enough to pick up, but it will reward repeated play and it you, you can become good at it. It's got enough strategy and, and tactics in there that you can play it, you know, even if you're not super experienced. But as you get more experienced, you will get better at it. And so like JR and I have played like, you know, hundreds of games each of this by now. And so our game, our matches are pretty interesting and kind of fun. But basically what it is, a card-driven combat game. And uh, each hero, in addition to their unique deck, has a unique special ability as well. And they also have a movement rating. And then essentially you start with a hand of cards and on your turn you're going to do one of three actions. You're either going to maneuver where you draw a card and then move or you're going to play a scheme card, which is basically if you were like a, an instant or if you were a sorcery, I guess, if you're looking at it in magic terms. It just has an effect and then it goes away. Or you can make an attack. Um, so one of the other cool things about the game is uh, the attacks, obviously there's melee attacks if you're adjacent. But one of the cool things we also uh, looked at was how to bring ranged attacks into the game. Because it's an entry-level game and we wanted it to play a little bit lighter and faster, we were looking for something where we could essentially have a line of sight without getting into all the intricate line of sight rules that you see in some other games. I looked backwards to another game that was very popular, a really cool uh, ranged combat system called Tannhauser. I don't know if you all are familiar with that, a miniatures game. From a while back, mm -hmm. it used a very cool system. It's one uh, Sam Healy, for example, he talks about a lot as one of his favorites that he always hoped someone would bring back. So we tweaked it a little bit, but basically what it is, the, the board is a series of circles with connections to show the places you can move. But each circle has a unique color and pattern. Not each circle, each, they're groupings of circles with unique colors and patterns. And each one of those circles that share that is in a zone. And if you're arranged, you can shoot at anyone in your zone. So there's no looking at line of sight. If you're sharing the same kind of space, you can hit the person with a ranged attack. It's very simple. It's very quick. So let me make sure. So that's the, I'm in a blue circle. He's in a blue circle. Boom. We're good. We're golden. I got you. Right. Right. But you might be in a circle that's one third blue, one third red, and one third green, which means you can attack or be attacked by anyone in the red, blue, or green zone if they have range you can always stack adjacent but you might have a card effect that says target anyone in your zone with it so it's like a little area effect and so when we design the maps we're like well there's a wall here so you're peeking out behind the wall so you've got you're in the blue zone behind the wall and you can be seen by the red zone which is the alley that's outside it so you're in both we also put a pattern on each one for color blindness so there's also like the red brick and the brown wood pattern and stuff so you can see the difference but yeah that's 
basically it. When we design the maps, we figure out all the things that would block line of sight. Worth mentioning that each of the two sets uh, comes with a double-sided board. So there's two battle mats for each of the sets. So, for example, the the Battle of Legends has uh, Sarpedon, which is the island where uh, Medusa lives, and it has Sinbad's ship on it. And then there's uh, the other side is a big castle, Marmorial, which is the castle from uh, Alice in Wonderland. It's the White Castle, I believe, but also obviously a castle appropriate for King Arthur. And then obviously Bigfoot and Robin Hood have a different set of boards. So. Wouldn't Bigfoot just be like in a big forest? That, we have a road in a forest and uh, like some badlands. Yeah, they're they're... They're smaller boards because it's a two-player okay. game. But yeah, there's forests with different loops and lines of sights and pinch points and things like that. So I uh, take my miniature and I'm, uh, say, in melee range of your miniature and I want to fight. How does combat look using cards, not dice? Yeah, combat straightforward. Uh, you you just declare attacker, declare defender. So Bigfoot's attacking Robin Hood. You put a card face down from your hand. I know it's an attack card. Or there's attack cards, defend cards, and then versatile, which are have both, can be used for either. I look at my hand. If I have a defense card or a versatile card for the defender, I can play it face down and then we both turn them over and compare numbers. I can choose not to defend. There's strategic reasons to do so, or I may not be able to because I don't have the right cards. Let's say you played an attack four and I have a defense two, I would take two damage, but each cards also have powers that either happen during combat or after combat. And so I might take two and it says if I took any damage in the uh, combat, I get to move three spaces Right. So I like, yes, I took two damage, but now I back up out of combat and that your second action, you can't attack me again because I'm now out of range or you get to draw a card or heal or do like look at my hand or lots of other things. And some some effects are almost always automatic, like just draw a card after attacking. And some say like if you won the combat, you get to do it and then you get two actions on a turn. But if you play the right cards, they'll give you like surprise bonus actions like, oh, I got to move even though I didn't have to use the maneuver action. My card let me do it. So that's why I attacked with it to get into position over here. It's through the deck of cards where you have the asymmetry. <laughs> asymmetry. Asymmetry. Yeah, that's much better. So yeah, so each deck of cards <laughs> is totally different. Shut up, Tony. There are overlapping cards. There are certain cards that will appear in every deck or nearly every deck. And then there are some cards that you might see in a handful of decks. Like if it's a card like block three and draw a card, like we don't need to have a different name. And, you know, you start to see it like, oh, it's this one. Um, but then every character will have cards that are unique to them and kind of define the theme of the deck. Like King Arthur is a big sacrificer. He can discard extra cards. I'm kind of shorthanding it, but he can discard extra cards to make his attacks more powerful, but at the cost of exhausting his hand and not being able to defend on other people's turns. So like he sort of, puts it all out on the battlefield as Arthur likes to do with noble sacrifice and all this piety and he either wins or, you know, comes up a bit short and dies trying. Yeah. Whereas uh, Alice's cards, for example, we talked about she, and she comes with a special token too. When she's big, she gets plus two to her attack. When she's small, she gets plus one to her defense and her cards will let her do things like attack and then become big or become small and then move or things like that. So she's constantly changing that around and, Someone like Sinbad, his deck's really cool. His whole thing is, the, as he gets more experienced going through his various voyages, he, he gets more powerful. So he's got to survive to the late game when he becomes really powerful. And he's got these seven different voyage cards named after the seven voyages uh, from the tales. And so as he plays them, his powers become more powerful for each voyage card in his discard pile. And so that's asymmetry is how we build 
the uh, flavor of that character into the deck, and that's what makes it so exciting. I believe the word's asymmetry, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, dissymmetry. So if if I go out to eBay right now and purchase the $140 Epic Duels, is there a way for me to take those cards and kind of move them to this new release, you think? Could I make it happen? They would have to be reported to the new system. We don't do reprints. We do restoration. So that game was designed <laughs> for like eight-year-olds to tie into a movie. So it had a lot of the same things like two actions and, you know, like attacking cards face down. But the the rules themselves, we added another 30 to 50% on top of it to make it a little bit more of a modern hobby game and a little more strategy. I'm hoping that the Epic Duels community finds this and likes it, and maybe they'll port some cards over from the old one and kind of revamp them. Now, this shows my ignorance, which is often on this show. Is there an Epic Duels community? Yeah, it, the game really sort of took off among a certain group of people who were excited by the idea. And the thing that we were excited about is the idea that you could, it came with a bunch of characters and you could pick any two and fight them. And each of them were relatively unique. We, I think we sort of amped up the asymmetry. And so people would make their own decks for the heroes and characters that they like from other IPs. And in a way, finding that community was like, hey, we can sort of build that into the game is we can find these other APs and then essentially you can mash up any two fighters from any sets and, and, and fight them. And that's one of the things that excited us about the idea of bringing this one back. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Though, but with each of the different characters, do you find balance is going to be a problem as you start releasing more unique characters? Sure. Um, you know, that's why we, I mean, it because of the asymmetry, that makes it a lot harder to play test. Um, and as we keep adding decks, then we've got lots more things to test against. But uh, JR has been a big help. He's the lead uh, developer on this project, I should mention, JR Honeycutt. And uh, he's done yeoman's work on the play testing. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of play tests. And as we're moving into other sets, we're testing against themselves and testing against the old decks and things like that. But we've also developed uh, sort of some baseline uh, to work from for uh, how the deck should work and, and things that we can we think will will fit. So we've got an idea, but you're right. Until you start playtesting, you don't really know. I'm not going to say that if, if this game works and we're doing a whole bunch of sets and it's three or four years into it, we're not going to have some version where this character is just much better against that character. But if we're at that point things are going well and someone's like we need tournament rules we will adjust it in tournament rules but it's a game that you can play in about 15 minutes uh, maybe 30 if you're sort of playing a defensive game so it's the type of thing like oh we ended up with this combo like you're probably going to win but let's see if i i would never want 100 percent. but if it's a 70 30 split or 65 35 in a combo we're not trying for it i hope never to get it it's not a scientific process so let's hope we have that problem of having so many characters yes <laughs> There you go. And I guess the, the goal of the game is to knock the other character's health down to zero. Yeah, the other person's hero. Like, I, I can take out all of your harpies, but I have to kill Medusa. And if you're Justin, little pro tip for people to play against him, he becomes obsessed with finishing the sidekick. Like, he has to get them out as a distraction. So you can keep using the the sidekick to get him to burn cards needlessly so that by the time he faces your hero, he sort of wasted too much energy trying to take out the porter and not focusing on Sinbad. I, I can't deny that. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, when I got to demo it, I uh, played against, I think somebody you were playtesting, and I don't think I should say who it is because you may not have announced it yet. Oh, we're going to announce, I think we're going to announce it within minutes. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, but I remember you played it, you went, yeah, I really need to tweak that one because it just ate, ate Bigfoot alive. Yeah. Yeah. There was a card. You want to talk about some of the stuff that Mondo's, well, I'll talk about it because I'm, I'm excited about it. So one of the things that Mondo does they'll have some games they'll put out we'll some have some we're all designing them together we're all working on the art together it's a partnership but one of the things that they do is they have a lot of um, licensing partnerships and the ability to get licensed for games so the unmatched line we've already got licenses lined up and we have a licensed game coming out this year plus a licensed promotional item so the promotional item it is a one pack you can't play it on, on its own you will need to add this character into other ones is Bruce Lee. The what? Bruce Lee. <laughs> What's, what, what was that? What? <laughs> Bruce Lee, baby. So, Marty, if I remember, did you do Bruce Lee versus Bigfoot? Yes, yes. You were, you were Bigfoot and Bruce Lee took your head off. Yeah, it, it, yeah, just kicked the crap out yeah, of me. Yeah, Bruce Lee yes. was, we were so excited to work on Bruce Lee, we made a completely broken deck. Well, specifically, I, I was super excited. I, I think I, I tweeted this out. If anyone saw me tweet out something, I was like vibrating with energy. I was so excited. That was when we found out we were going to get to do Bruce Lee. I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan. So I begged to design the deck or do the initial design. And, of course, I made him way overpowered. <laughs> so. Like he would lose to no one. He would eat the sun with two And cards. I'm like, like, what's wrong with that? That's perfect. That's perfectly how it should be. I'm sorry. That's just the way. Hey, hey, it's not Chuck Norris. Oh, Chuck Norris versus Bruce Lee. That would have been cool. Well, you know, like I said, there's a lot of licenses out there. So we have Bruce Lee, and I always crack up at Bruce Lee versus Bigfoot. Or Bruce Lee versus Alice in Wonderland, just for the like, how, wait, what's going on when we're playtesting? And then there is going to be sometime in the fall, we don't have the exact date, is going to be another four-pack standalone game, but that you can mix and match, which is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Woo! There's mine right there. That's what I'm excited about. There's a few things up in the air, and, and when this show comes out, which is on a Tuesday, there's going to be a big talk at the Gamma Fest uh, trade show on Thursday with Mondo and us, where we're getting into more details on that. But yes, there's going to be a Buffy license with four characters that you can play, uh, you know, in the in the high school. Do you know the four characters? We do. I can't remember if, like, we're supposed to talk about them yet or, or hold off. We don't have final approval for, like, likenesses and things like that. Gotcha. Right. We, we have the sculpts. We have the decks. They're all working. But we until everyone up the chain signs off, there's not guaranteed that those are the ones that are going to be in I think we can the- say, obviously, the heroes have sidekicks, too. Like, as of right now, like, most of the characters you would recognize are going to be in the set. Yeah. There's going to be four characters and at least four sidekicks. Pretty sure we can say that Buffy's going to be in the set. One, right, one way right or the now, other. Right now, Buffy is an odds-on favorite to be part of the Buffy game. Yeah. <laughs> and then hopefully Angel, Spike, and Willow with sidekicks. I can, I can either, either confirm nor confirm deny. Confirm or deny <laughs> what's going on. That means nothing to me. Uh, that means absolutely nothing to me. All right. Well, you, can, you can play Bigfoot versus Bruce Lee. That's right. So you ain't got to play this. But are you going to have Blue Bloods? I mean, the whole Reagan family would be really cool. <laughs> the Reagan family? What? What's he talking about? You did Buffy. I went to the CBS show, Blue Bloods, the Reagan family. Oh, my gosh. With Tom Selleck and Donnie No, Wahlberg. but we are thinking about a Matlock standalone promo. I yes. <laughs> are you serious? No, I'm not serious. Okay, because that would have been awesome. <laughs> the conversations that go on between Mondo like, and us, part, partly we have a lot of ideas for licenses we'd like to do, but we're waiting a little bit to see... 
you know, how, what people want and what they're asking for. We don't want to chase down the wrong licenses or spend a lot of time. So we have a lot of different options. Some are very serious fighting based ones. Some are completely tongue in cheek, but that's what we're trying to make sure that there's something for everyone where you're like, wait, what, what is that? And you're like, let's buy that. Let's add that in. And we've got a couple more ready to roll, like at the first quarter of next year that we're not going to get into tonight, but we have another set that's another set of four that's mostly designed and another set of four that's mostly designed. So we're kind of through 2020 in the middle of summer, have stuff ready to go. So if this thing works. Yeah, I was going to say, we did name the first set Battle of Legends Volume 1. So, you know. Oh, now you've ruined it. (laughs) It's sort of like History of the World Part 1, right? Uh, No, I hope not. Yeah, one and done. Mondo has Castlevania. They have an Alucard character. Get that one. That's cool. We are going to get a lot of requests. I was going to say, it's part of the fun. Like, Like the company, like our Restoration Games, part of the fun of the job is... Talking to people, finding out the games they want us to bring back, talk, you know, hearing what gets them excited. That's sort of what I'm excited about Unmatched is because the options are so limitless to hear what heroes people want to see, I think is going to be exciting. So This is for Tony. They have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I know. I saw it. Let's do it. Heroes in a half shell. Let's go. Stay puffed the marshmallow, man. Come on. <laughs> that would be a big figure. That'd be cool. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you know, sometimes it's a very, we're talking about very contemporary licenses of things that are going on right now. And sometimes in the restoration motto, we're like, how about this TV show from 1983? And I'm making that up. It's not, it's people are like, which one was he talking about? I just made it up. But we look at old, LA like, Law. <laughs> Harry Hamlin's holding out. I was thinking HR puffing stuff with Jimmy and the flute. <laughs> wow, we are going old school. That is some old, old club. Yeah. We could do uh, Shazam and Isis from the 70s TV show. Ooh. There you go. Hey, you got the reboot of Shazam. That's right. The thing is, there's a lot of fun stuff. And sometimes we start, we have a Slack channel with Bondo. We're like, how about this? How about this? And like, guys, guys, we're all excited. We're, we get so excited on the restoration side. Like, we could just list 50 licenses. Like, okay, we can do one. Like, let's <laughs> let's... We're not going to make 50 SKUs next year. Well, you know what would be cool is uh, once these are announced, and let's say you have a list of licenses that you know you can do, maybe you can do a poll and and find out from people what they'd want to see next. We can do that probably for non-license. I'm not sure how much licensors would like to be part of a, are you popular enough to make our final cut? Like, licensors may not like it, but if we have Battle of Legends volume three or two or something like hey these are the 10 people we're gonna put four of them in Mm. right who do you want to fight like i again i really hope that people respond to it in that way where we have this active fan community and people are getting involved and suggesting licenses and suggesting characters um we have had put a lot of work and had a lot of fun over the past year year and a half yeah i was gonna say so for the record, this is Project Blue for everyone. Just let's to reveal that. <laughs> and why is it called Project Blue? I do not want to say. I'm I'm deeply ashamed about this. Justin always has like eight different layers to his well his his code names. We're gonna let this one slide and just oh. say this one goes to a non-family place, right? And then the 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 puzzle solvers in the group can figure it out for Well, them. now that they know what the game is based on. They might be able to deduce it. Yeah, we've given you all the all the facts. It's up to you, the listener, to and solve the fact the puzzle. that I'm deeply ashamed. Those two should be enough to <laughs> then call this one nine hundred number to win your prize. Sponsored by Roll Dice. Take names. No, that is incorrect. It is. It is a half-eaten bucket of popcorn, slightly stale. 
That sounds like one of the uh, Hangry expansion from Fireball Island. Yeah. So this is your big uh, game for Gen Con, is that correct? Yes. This is our, our showcase game for Gen Con this year. We have other stuff coming out. We can talk about another one. You can get a scoop. scoop. Yes, uh, we, we do. But hold on, Tony. Uh, can you tell us what the MSRP is going to be and stuff like that? Sure. Uh, so the four pack is going to be thirty nine ninety five. Comes with the four miniatures, the disc, the four separate decks, double-sided game board. Hit point counters. Yeah, these we got these cool dials that are custom made also featuring the same art. Uh and then uh the two pack is $24.95. Comes with the two heroes and the another double-sided board as well. Uh Bruce is gonna be a sort of a separate thing. That's Yeah, we uh, don't know exactly yeah. what he's gonna be. It's a promotional item and so it's gonna be we, we have to work that out with Mondo as far as how we're distributing that. But uh, when this episode releases and you do your press release, will your website be updated with images, pictures, etc., more info? Yes. Uh we will have uh a webpage live when the the by the time this airs, the webpage will be live and we'll have some photos and images of stuff, which I can't again can't wait to show you all the art it is amazing if I didn't reiterate that. All right, so you mentioned a scoop. Let's hear a scoop. There will also, at Gen Con, be a Fireball Island expansion that we had the first game. We had three expansions that came out, and now we're going to have a fourth expansion come out, and it's called Spider Springs. Little spiders that you can shoot, little springy spiders, or they, they suck down and they pop up. Oh, he's showing us. He's showing us. What I'm showing in my hand, for those of you who can't see, and it is there is a peninsula that goes off the back of the island. It's not a separate island. And there is one of the things in the peninsula is a spring-loaded trap with, I think I've got four spiders in there, that when a marble lands on it, shoots him straight up in the air. <laughs> it is a lot of fun, uh, except for Suzanne, our marketing person, who has a genuine fear of spiders, because these spiders shoot straight up. They end up on character cards. They end up, uh, we have new cataclysm cards, for those who played this, where you put mm-hmm. the marbles through Volcar, called arachnoclysms, that before you put marbles through Volcar, you put four spiders into his head, and they kind of come out his mouth, and then the marbles follow and push them Ooh. all over the board. So, yeah, we're having a lot of fun. There's spiders and spider eggs. Spiders are negative points. At the end of the game, if you have spiders on you, that's bad. But spider eggs are good, so you're, like, kind of collecting those, and they can be stolen. And there's there's sort of a way to target the leader. In front of this spider spring trap uh, is the crevice. When the spiders go up, there's almost always four in there. When they land on the crevice, or they land in front, a number of them will land in the crevice. Usually at least one, sometimes two or three. You can pick them up and put them anywhere on the island on spaces. So if someone's running from the helicopter, you can put three spiders in front of them. Someone's about to like go somewhere you don't want them to. You put spiders and then they walk across and they pick them up. And now they're wearing spiders and they have negative points. So if Tony's having a great game, he's got a lot of points. We'll all be basically putting spiders in his path to, to slow him down. Then he'll get a souvenir, which is the Embercore gift box, and he'll run and dump spiders back on us and laugh. I was playing it with people the other day, and they lost all reason, and every turn they could, they launched the spider trap to watch the spiders go 4 to 12 inches in the air and rain down all over the board and just laugh delightedly to the point where they weren't even playing very well. I'm like, why do you need to do that? That's not going to help you. And they're like, because the spiders go straight up in the air. Yeah, (laughs) It's fun. It's just fun. We're always planning, like, the way the island is set up, there's, like, these two shorelines and then the tray in the middle, and then there's 
these cardboard scrims you put on to cover the gaps underneath. We always said that's a perfect place to put two more peninsulas coming out to make it the island not like from two directions to, you know, three directions or four directions. So this peninsula goes on the back away from the from the helipad. Uh, you get there through the cave system and you run around and spiders rain on you. And that's also where there's also another way to get off the island on the peninsula as well. There's a a submarine. A submarine. Oh. I didn't you, say you, it. <laughs> you, you want to. You, <laughs> the rules aren't done. It, right now, because we have the helicopter, Justin wants to call it the submarine. And <laughs> since I like to eat meals and not be nauseous, I'm I'm working against that. But we're we already have the helicopter. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, oh, something else I cannot put together, Marty. Uh, well, so you'll be happy to know it is not a punch board. It's just a, a space on the on the peninsula. Yes, we are, we are aware that the punch board was a little bit of a tight fit. And uh, when we do a reprint on Fireball Island, we're looking at adjusting the tolerances on that. It's okay. Just leave it on the on the little punch sheet. It works just as good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I, I, I didn't know that Mr. Fumblefingers was going to be, you know, trying to put it together. But yes, no, it is, it is a little bit of a tight fit those those notches uh one of the most uh, useful pieces of information i got out of this segment is the fact that suzanne is afraid of spiders so thank you for that i appreciate that that will come into play in the future so like legit though so just be yeah careful. so she'll be careful yeah. <laughs> so if mondo has the tick license marty maybe they can get the poodle gun for um fireball island you are a broad lateral thinker Doing a lot of cross-brand promotion and the greatest synergistic matchup since uh, Infinity War. Thank you. No, it's the poodle gun from The Tick. You don't remember that, Marty? The poodle gun? She had the poodle gun? Just say yes. Yeah, the, the spider sprung up. I thought about poodles shooting out of a gun. Sorry. Hold on, hold on. Let me get my popcorn. I'll be quiet again. Fireball Island was, again, such a unique, different kind of project from a development and design standpoint. Uh, we learned a lot doing those first SKUs. And so we put that knowledge of what works and what doesn't work so well and things like that to sort of create this new expansion that we think is going to be a lot of fun for everyone. So it's sort of like all the best practices we learned through that first production. Um, so it's coming out at Gen Con. I don't think we've set an MSRP on it yet, or did we decide on that? We have not. We got to double check. More than $5. Yes. Twenty nine ninety nine. Uh probably higher. But we need to do a, a final where it's basically we just turned over the the plastic it's got the like a full peninsula, which is about the size of one of the trays in the original game, maybe eighty percent. So it's got that and some bridges and the spider launcher. For the record, it's a little bit bigger than Wreck of Crimson Colors. At the end of this year, Kickstarter for Return to Dark Tower at Gen Con, we have Unmatched in the expansion for uh, Fireball Island. Anything at Origins? Yes. So we've already announced this. That's uh, Conspiracy uh, is the spy mm-hmm. game that we're working on. We are right. Down to the wire on that one. So we are we are planning on our origins, but I will tell you it is not a hundred percent. We might be flying that over on the Concord. I don't we'll have to get the Concord recommissioned or something to to get it there in time. But that is the plan. I'm super excited about that one. That's a game that I had when I was a kid. And it's much more of a I I guess you could call it a hobby game than, you know, some of the other games that we've done. Um I think the hobby community is gonna take to it pretty well. It's a it's a very different kind of game. Those are the ones that excite me is the the old games that do something that no games really since have much done or done much of. And so I'm excited to get that one out. And right now we're working on getting all the art done and everything. It's got this really cool 70s spy vibe that 
uh, I, I like. I'm a big you know spy novel fan and James Bond fan and stuff. So that's been a lot of fun. And Bruce Lee, that too, yeah. <laughs> no Bruce Lee in conspiracy though. He would be too powerful. He would win right away and be controlled by no one. No, the main conceit about conspiracy conspiracy that Justin's talking about is that there are six agents on the board, and you have a shield, and behind which you're allocating money to different agents. It might be none. It might be, you know, almost your the full amount of money you have. And on your turn, you can move one agent, but someone else could challenge you and be like, no, you can't. And then you get into a little, it's not quite a bidding war. You get into a little who has more money on the person. And if you have more money, you if, if you win this bid, I'll just call it a bid, you get to move them as you want. And if they have more money, then you basically lose your turn. But the other person's given away that they have more money to control that person so you can also use agents to eliminate, you know, assassinate, burn an agent. So if I find out that Marty has a ton of money on Agent 1, then we could all team up and assassinate Agent 1. And now you've lost your asset that you've put a lot of resources in. And all you're trying to do is get this one briefcase back to your headquarters. So like you're moving the spies around and going around. Now, I might have a ton of money on Agent 1. And then you bid and you're like, I've got four. And I go, yeah, no, okay, I lose my turn. Not saying I have nine. So everyone thinks you have the most and not that much and leave it alone. And then later when it's important, I make a run for it. And everyone's like, what are you doing? And, you know, and then they're like, I have four. I'm like five. You're like six. I'm like seven. They're like, wait, wait, where did this money come from? And so you can kind of bluff and counter bluff. And and we added a rule where if you take too long and no one's getting the suitcase, this Dr. Solomon, who's like the super bad guy off stage, eventually shows up. And he'll steal it. There's like a sudden death end to the game. If you get to the game and you think, no one's going to win. This is tight. You can start actually putting money on Dr. Solomon. You're basically betting that the game's going to end in a stalemate. And then you want to have the most control over the tiebreaker Oh, at the that's end. That's cool. But by, if you're allocating money to the tiebreaker, then you're no longer allocating money to the agents. And if someone else is still playing, they might wrest control of the suitcase. And you're like, oh, no, I thought this game was going to end up in a tie. And uh, it's not really a tie. It's just how I'm describing it. So there's this like little half hour. Or cat and mouse thing. Yeah, it's worth mentioning Dr. Solomon isn't the bad guy. He actually is named, he's like the master spy though. He's like this guy in darkness who's gonna, he's the master spy. I was just trying to write a little theme here. The only reason I want to mention that is because it's yeah. named after the original designer of the game, Dr. Eric Solomon. And so <laughs> he's not a bad guy at all. <laughs> he's not a bad guy at all, but in our game he's a shadowy, sinister yes. figure who is more powerful <laughs> than all the other people. Yeah. So I shorthanded it. There you go. The original, real Dr. Solomon. Very nice. See, and I, and I like that, Marty, because that gives me the ability to say, oh, okay, this game's taking way too freaking long. Let's go. Come on. I like that. Well, I was actually going to ask. I said, wow, it seems like it's one of those things you were doing this, uh, you know, tug of war thing with a suitcase. So I was glad to hear, nope, eventually this game mm-hmm. will end. Well, so the, yeah, that's the interesting thing is you have these very interesting choices to make about uh, when you're going to start paying off Dr. Solomon and how often, because w- when you do, when you pay off Dr. Solomon, that's your whole turn. Like you don't tell anyone. You used to just tell you, say you're making a payoff. And then you can either pay off one of the actual agents who can move the briefcase around any amount, or you can only pay off one to Dr. Solomon. And so really what you're doing is you're giving up your action that will have control over the main win condition to invest in this alternate win condition down the road. And so it's a little bit of assessing, you know, the game state and and where the other players are uh, about when you're making that adjustment to start investing in Dr. Solomon or when you're going to keep investing in the regular agents to to get the briefcase to your HQ. One of the things I've seen is at the beginning of the game, it's a lot of who's doing what. And it's almost like a um, 
in a good way, I'm going to say like a soccer game and like there's ball that goes this way and then it comes back this way and then it goes this way and you're waiting and you're thinking, man, no one's going to break through. And then you realize someone has a lot of money on someone and they're making a run for it. And two other people team up to assassinate that person. But then there's a like a double team where the assassin gets assassinated by a different person. Suddenly there's three agents on the board and you're like, wait a minute. Hold on. Now there's like there's a lot of wide open space here to get this briefcase and not as many people to stop it. Um, another thing that we've added is each of the agents has a power. So after you move them, they can either move the briefcase or move someone else or do these little tricks, which makes it just a little bit hard to figure out what's going to happen on a turn. It's everything technically is full knowledge, but I've been surprised by people like, I'm going to do this. I'm like, fine. And then they go, and then I'm going to move the briefcase here. Like, oh, geez, I forgot that power. And that was right there. And like, no, that was bad. I should not have let that happen. Um, so you can get you can get surprised by it. See, Maury, I like this kind of deduction game. There's no social aspect of it. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, there may be some. It's, it's still a deception type thing. Yeah, you, you have to bluff. Um, and you can certainly deceive people about what your intentions are or you can try and the most common thing is basically trying to convince someone else to do the dirty work (laughs) so that you save your resources right (laughs) this sounds very interesting we're gonna play this oh i hope so okay now and this one is straight to retail straight to retail 49.95 you know it's a sort of a big box game it's got a big board it's got these really cool plastic spy pieces uh these player shields that are Based off different spy HQs, and um, we've got a Dr. Solomon die and some gold coins and stuff like that. And how many people does it play? Two to four. We trimmed out one of the higher player counts because the game went really slow and there's a lot of downtime. And even though I hate to limit it and say like, well, we're going to lose some people because it doesn't play this higher count. I don't want to put out a bad game that plays a higher count. Or, you know, d- that plays poorly at that level. What was the project name for this one? Zurich. And can you say why? Because it's one of those cities. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a, map of, it's a map of Europe. Really? I figured it was because you always saw in the spy movies, they always are going to Switzerland. Swiss, Swiss and to bank Zurich. account, yeah. Yeah, and that kind of stuff. Well, that was why I chose Zurich from among the cities. <laughs> and not that I want to be rude to our guests, but my... 32 ounces of soda is almost gone. And I know what that means in about 10 minutes. So, gentlemen, what else is going on over at Restoration Games? Anything else amazing? It's like, is that not enough? We can make one more announcement if you want. Of course. I can hold it. I got time. I can hold. I also got a cup that I can. Never mind. We'll move on. Let's do it. Let's go all in. We got all in. We, it basically rounds out our entire 2019 line, other than we got, you know, we're going to be doing some reprints of games that have gone out of print, but we still think there's a opportunity. We just sold out. But yeah, let's. And then the rest of the stuff is 2020 and way too early to talk about. Okay. All right. Go for it. Go, Justin. I'm happy to do it. So we are going to do another expansion for Downforce. Oh. I was going to ask that. I was going to ask that. Yeah. So this one's called Wild Ride. And it's similar to the last expansion in that it's uh, going to be a slim shrink wrapped board. Uh, we are not putting more player uh, driver powers in. We think 12 is plenty. But what we decided to do, so I sort of think there's this funny uh, narrative uh, that's going on behind the scenes where these are Formula One race car drivers. And in the first track, there's just like a regular old track. Uh, and then the second track, they're like now they're driving on like broken road and doing loop-de-loops. And so in the third one, we decided to ump up, amp up the chaos a little bit. So it's called Wild Ride. We have uh, two tracks. One is called Aloha Sands. It's uh, sort of this beach track with ramps. Mm. And you have to jump over. Well, you don't have to. But you can jump over ramps to move faster around the track, which I'll talk about in a second. 
And then the other one is called Jungle Rumble. And uh, there are wild animals going across the track while you're driving around. So you have to dodge the elephant and the tiger and the python. <laughs> Would the python be like a speed bump? <laughs> uh, no, you have to go around them. No running over the animals. Okay, excellent. Now, uh, and I've lost track. Is there a yoing yoing button in it? Speed racer reference. <laughs> a yoing yoing. Oh gosh, I know what you're talking about. I'm gonna have to find that sound effect and put it here. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they're just they're fun and silly. Like these are these are we've we've gone a little more whimsical. I mean, the last one we had, we had racetracks that you went into a loop where you could t-bone the other people who are going, which is not how you build racetracks. Um, the ramps are fun. You just I mean, we can get into details, but there's basically sections with just the lagoon. And if you're going fast enough, you just go over a ramp and land on the other side of it. Or you got to take the road, which is much slower. Ah, okay. That's That's cool. That's pure Mario Kart right there. Oh, it is Mario Kart. Yep. Yeah, it's got a very Mario Kart feel. But the other thing is, because it sort of makes the board more dynamic, both of these sides of tracks, it also makes it a little more strategic. Like there's a little more to it. One of the things we wanted to address is some people have had an issue with You know, you get this leader who's out in front and then everyone starts betting on them and pushing them ahead. And, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, that's not a very strategic way to play. But if that's the way people are playing, we want to address that. And so that will not work on these boards, not the least of which one of the things we've done is we put the first player marker instead of at the front. It's at the back on both of these tracks. Um, So the the player who goes first is actually starting in the back of the pack. So it's interesting. It's hard for them to race out ahead. Like if they push their car and do a big thing, they end up just a few ahead of everyone else. And so you end up with more of a pack and that that's a big help. But you know, the, yeah, the animals on the track, what happens is the animal blocks part of the track and the leader has to go around the animal. But then once one car goes by the animal, it startles it and it moves to its next spot. And when it leaves behind is a much shorter route for everyone else to go around. So the leader might have to go three spaces around the elephant. The elephant goes away. And then the next people just have to go one because where the elephant vacated is a larger space that it's blocking. So whoever's in the front at the time is burning a lot more energy going around the animals. And then everyone else has a shorter path after the animals have moved on. It's a it's a track where you want to be in second place almost the whole way until you get to the end. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You just want to keep drafting off, push other people to the front, let them get the animals out of the way, and then you zoom up and then let someone else. Yeah, it's so you end up with a very different feel. But what I heard was you scare the elephant, it vacates, and you have a smaller area to drive around. Yes. When the animals are gone, you have a smaller path. Okay. Because he vacated. Uh, I, I, yes, I understand. You're doing a poop joke. <laughs> <laughs> Poop joke. You cannot pull one over on Rob. <laughs> I don't ever plan on pulling anything over on Rob. He's the only one that gets me, and I'm sorry, Rob. I feel for you on that one. <laughs> so when does this come out? Packs unplugged. Yeah, end of the year. End of the year. So how are the socks going to do this year? Hopefully, well. I'm like, hey, let me be, let. What do you want? The realistic? Do you want the dour New Englander? Like, well, they won last year. They can't do that every year. The Yankees look tough. I mean, as long as their pitching holds up, they can probably hang in there. But you can't duplicate career years that you have from people year after year, although Mookie's still on the upswing. Or I could just be like, Sox are going to rule. We're going to go two in a row. Uh, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have both rings. We're gonna have Super Bowl and World Series in well, we 2019. We do have a World Series and a Super Bowl right now. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You do. And then okay, you got Justin true. over there who came from uh, Duke University, who is probably one of the front runners to win a national championship as long as uh, Zion Williamson yeah. comes back. Uh, they lost tonight, though. I don't know if I we're, I 
I gave up watching the Duke game tonight to, to be on the show here. That's commitment. But then they ended up losing to Virginia Tech, so go figure. Oh, so did you write a nasty letter to Nike like every other Duke <laughs> fan? No, that was a wild scene, though. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, so for those who don't know, there's a basketball player who, was, who had a shoe that basically disintegrated apart yeah. right in the middle of the game. He he went to cut, and the sole of the shoe separated from the rest of it, and he messed up his knee. Well, the mess, this story was funny until you get to the end, because I'm like, another guy faked another guy so his shoe exploded. <laughs> is a big, fantastic beginning and then like a you know college athlete messing up his knee is like well no that's that's not it does not appear to be that bad at least so as long as he's back for the tournament i'll be fine it, it does not but thing is though this guy's projected to be the number one overall draft pick next year that why is why it was a big deal i yeah. mean he, he is he's he's a phenom out there and i do appreciate you not discussing our south florida football or baseball teams you guys have baseball and football teams Again, I, I, I will reuse this joke nominally. Nominally. Yes. <laughs> Look at the shirt I'm wearing. So I, I support the Reds, and it's like they haven't done anything since 1990. So I have to live vicariously through uh, everybody this, else. I, the, the past 15 years in New England has been crazy and unsustainable and has gone on far longer than I expected. And the rest of my life, when, you know, every, like when there's a natural ebb and flow, I will be like, ah, I remember the time when things are, I am, I am enjoying it now, but I really, I don't spend a lot of time bragging about sports. It's just not, it doesn't feel good on the other side. And like, I didn't do anything. What? I was born in the New England. Like, yeah, look at me. I did it. I was born in Maine. So, but you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy uh, football and baseball, mostly baseball. Um, I enjoy football. As a game, it's a bit of a violent sport that as I get older, I have trouble with and I just don't like it as a business. I don't think the NFL runs their business well. Did we just lose an NFL sponsorship? I don't think any of us no. have it. So, okay. We're not going to get that Tom Brady uh, promo fighter. Oh, I can get him. I'll, ju- I'll just I just call Tom. Like I said, I'm a New Englander. I'll just drive down the street and see him. That would be pretty cool, though, to do like a, a sports figure, like a Michael Jordan promo pack or LeBron promo pack or something. I don't think I'd hit up Robert Kraft on that. Is that too soon? Oh. That's what happens when you go to Florida. I was going to say, of course, <laughs> that was down here. That was about 20 minutes from my house. <laughs> but hey, I need to get up to Boston sometime during the summer so you can show me a game at Fenway Park. I've always wanted to go there, and I'd love to have somebody just show me the ropes. And- uh, please do. We'll make a day of it. We'll get there early. Last year, I had killer tickets where you could get in early and go to clubs and things like that, but they were expensive, even the eight that I bought. And so I'm not doing that. But if, you, if you're doing it, give early notice because the tickets sell out. We'll try to get monster seats. We'll get there early. They have Fenway tours. If you get there early, you can you take a tour mm-hmm. and you can get there during batting practice. It, if you're up on the green monster, it's like artillery fire. Like Oh, I bet. It's like every nine seconds, a ball is coming screaming in at 80 miles an hour. Do not look away. Anything else, gentlemen, before I take us out? I think that was a lot. That was the entire 2019 yeah, line. Yeah, it was the t- entire there. 2019 line, yeah. So you guys always want the scoops. And I said, I'm, we're going to give you all the scoops today. Two scoops. To close us out, let me quote Tristan Donovan. Games that have been with us for a millennium. Board games should feel stale and outnumbered by now, but the result is they haven't felt fresher or been so popular for decades. And why shouldn't they? Board games are not and have never been mere distractions. Whatever we choose and whatever the future takes us, board games will be there bringing us together and mirroring our choices and our attitudes on paper and cardboard. Amen. 
That was the second reading of Tony. <laughs> Deep thoughts by Tony. <laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, have a wonderful gamma. Well, Justin, you have a wonderful gamma. Rob will still be out here having meetings. Endless meetings. And we'll for sure see you guys at uh, Origins and Gen Con. And we will have your squirrely award for you at Origins that you can use to prop up and hold things up in, uh, in your booth. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. Was I supposed to be recording this at my end? (laughs) (laughs) Well, L.A. Crimes Expansion for Detective is now up for pre-order. If you're interested in going all the way back to the 80s and trying to solve some mysteries, then make sure to check out L.A. Crimes. Again, currently on pre-order, you will need the base detective game in order to play this game. And this is just the beginning as now Ignacy's starting to release informants every week about other games he's working on. He has just now sent Imperial Settlers Roland Wright out to the presses to be made, and he's currently working on his new game that's going to be releasing at Gen Con, which is Empire of the North. So if you want to find out more about these games and do the pre-orders and everything else, make sure to go check out, what is it, Tony? PortalGamesUS.com Listen, now if I want to go back to the 80s, I want to drive my silver Firebird. I want to go back. It had a red interior. Oh, that was such a fun car to drive. I remember that car. Yeah, wh- what were you driving? I was driving an old Pontiac Sunbird that uh, when I got out of college, the engine finally fell out of it and it had to be drug away. But that's when I got my new turbocharged Thunderbird, and that was my baby. Oh, I forgot about your Thunderbird. Hey, you can tell this is the first time us doing this segment, Tony, because now we're just rambling. Hey, they missed it in the intro, so we can do it now. (laughs) That's right. Everybody, we typically don't do a lot of Kickstarter previews, and the reason why is because there's just so many, we cannot keep up with them. But for some reason, Tony, March 5th is a huge date for a lot of Kickstarters that are coming out. And a lot of these are ones that we are interested in because we've heard about them, played maybe their new versions of games. So we're just going to highlight some of these that are coming out. And one of them coming out from our friend Chris Handy, who we years ago covered his pack of game series. He has a new Roland Wright called, get this, Roland Wright, R-O-L-A-N-D-W. R-I-G-H-T. And Tony, I love the theme of this game. The purpose of this game, it's a Roland Wright game where your goal is to design a Roland Wright game. Well, you know, when I first saw this email come from him, I thought it was a misspelling. I was like, what is up with this? He confused me, Marty. But yes, I like the idea behind this. A Roland Wright game about designing a Roland Wright. This should be something now, uh, you know, Suzanne... She always talks about Roland Wright. That's the one love she and I both have in our games. We love all these various Roland Wrights. So I am looking forward to this. I'm I'm very interested in this. And hopefully, I mean, all these are coming out now. I mean, our buddies over at Renegade Terror below, uh, 150,000. Oh, my gosh. The Kickstarters are just going wild right now. Yeah, it is definitely Kickstarter season. And another one that I want to talk about, too, is from Van Ryder Games. Now, last year, they came out with their graphic novel adventures, uh, basically, is which is like a choose-your-own-adventure. Now, granted, that's trademark. Netflix just got through this whole thing where they released that episode called Bandersnatch, where it was about choose-your-own-adventure, and they got sued. 
it's that sort of thing. I, I, last year, I got to check out one that was very dark. It was almost um, Lovecraftian, but they sent us one this year, a pre-release before the Kickstarter comes out, and it's called Mystery. I love the art of this book. It is very kid-friendly. It looks like Cartoon Network-style drawings. I love the characters in it. It's extremely colorful. And the idea is you create a superhero character, and you go out and you go on adventures. You kind of grind for a little bit. You grind to get a certain level of HP, and once you get in a certain amount, you level up. And when you level up, it opens up other areas of the book. Now, if typically you choose your own adventures, you're reading the comment, and it says, jump to page, like panel 123 or jump to panel 126 or it may say hey if you're not level three then you can't go here yet you need to go back to where you were before and the whole book unfolds like that over the course of the game you can track abilities that you have and hit points that you take there's going to be a line of these uh, that are out but this one mystery based is fantastic the one that we i covered last year was definitely too mature for kids this is perfect for kids. So if you like a choose-your-own-adventure style book, go check out this one and the others that they currently have on Kickstarter. You've made me sad. Why? Well, when you said this about create your own hero and level them up, I had flashbacks to City of Heroes, one of my all-time favorite MMORPG games. Oh, dude, you know what was funny? I had flashbacks when we were playing Defenders of Champion City with Richard oh. Lonius. Yes, de definitely it brought back flashbacks to me. And that's what that's what this does too, I agree. Oh, Sun Poison, may he rest in peace. Grinding in the sewers, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nostalgia. It's coming back to me like my Trans Am. I can still to this day, dude, the login screen music, mm -hmm. it's still embedded in my head. Well, it's kind of like the Star Wars login music from the MORPG where we would sit there. Well, it's because we waited for 30 minutes. I was going to say because there was a queue, we had to wait two hours before we could get in. Whew, that was a brutal launch. That was. and But eventually, nothing was more satisfying than going out and checking your moisture evaporators out in the <laughs> tangerine. <laughs> Your moisture collectors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some great role-playing games. These kids just don't know how good they got it with their switches and their ones and their and their PS4s. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh wait. But back to Kickstarters. Let's talk about another one from our good buddy. Nate Bivens. Oh, yes, man. Nate Bivens, who has been on the show a few times, he's part of our Scurry Report. A local designer, he uh, designed a game that came out from uh, Renegade Games called uh, Sunday Split, uh, which we really enjoyed. And this past year, he's been working on a game. He's been working uh, with a, another designer, uh, Robert Burke. Together, they've been designing what Nate said, a 4X game. And we said, ah, stop, Nate. Forex, I don't know. Tony's not sounds... covering it. Tony ain't looking at yeah, that. Yeah, Tony ain't going to talk about that. He said, no, 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 guys, wait. What about if I told you if we had a game, a Forex game that could be played in two hours? And both of us kind of looked at each other and we was pretty much like, prove it. Hey, we threw the flag. And so we got a chance to go to the game store last week and they taught us the game. And let's just go ahead and skip to the end. Tony, they pulled off a 4X game that lasted exactly two hours, and that's with two people who never played the game. Exactly, and it was what we expected. We you expected the elements of 4X, and they were there. And I'll admit, now, if you see any pictures of me playing this game out there, you're going to say Grumpy Tony was there, but that's because I was playing it so 
poorly. God, I think Marty for Silver River, the name of the game, one of the neatest aspects for me was how I got my resources. Yeah, so uh, explain that because that was that was a really simple concept, but very cool. You got resources based on the amount of people that you had out in the galaxy. Pretty the simple. population of each planet where you had uh, right. populated. Yep. The population where you populated. That's right. The Marty. population where you po- Again, this is our first take, people. We haven't worked out the kinks. And we're not going to go. Oh, wait a minute. Let me check. Is my button still? Yeah. I'm I was going to say, I'm checking too. <laughs> now I'm paranoid. So there you go. Here, your population has to given you resources, and it's not gas or crystals mm-hmm. or any of this other stuff. Here, here's some just raw stuff. Some just basic raw resources. And those are indicated by just a little color disc based on your, your player color. So you take those, and then you are responsible responsible for divvying those up among the various regions on how you want to spend them. Mm-hmm. I think mean, there's, there's no restrictions. You decide, well, Hey, on my action, I'm going to spend this amount so that I can go and colonize another, populate another planet, or I'm going to spend this amount to build more freighters or, Oh, or maybe I want to do some technology. I'll do that. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe we need to hold an election for something as simple as it was, Marty. That was probably the most intense part of this game for me. It was definitely part of the game where you spent most of your time. You have a screen that hides what you're doing. So you've accumulated a set of discs. Like you said, you move those and put those around whichever those four areas that you want. And each of those areas have certain actions that you can do. And there's there's costs associated with some of them. Like you said, one of them, hey, I'm just going to move one of my fleet. And when I do, I can colonize a planet. And then you can also have another thing that populates it, put more people on it. Or, oh, the tech tree. Let's see, I want to buy this new tech. How many discs will it cost me to get this tech? And you allocate that. Or like you said, the political. There's certain roles that people can have, like Galactic Leader, which gives you abilities. And you basically vote with those discs that you have. So all of a sudden, these generic discs turn into very specific discs But then for things like, Tony, when you populate, those discs move onto the planets. Those discs become people. Now, at first, that kind of threw me. It's like, I don't like the idea of generic disc. Why don't you have fleet discs? And why don't you have resource discs of this type and this type? Well, I understand the reason why, because it makes it so stinking simple. Mm -hmm. Just one common type of resource. They all look the same. But wherever they're placed, they have a different function. And it's very easy to follow. But where's the conflict, Marty? Where's the conflict? If you're going to have a 4X game, there's got to be some conflict. Well, sure, because we've already, there's 4Xs, right? For people who don't know, that's explore, expand, exploit, exterminate. And if you want some conflict, just move into another area. This is basically a board that has hex tiles on it. Very typical 4X, but it's not individual tiles. It's going to be just a regular game board with the tiles drawn on it. Hold on, hold on. Now they're still trying to decide. Because Nate asked, he said, which do you prefer? I said, I like the hex tiles. Now, we don't know what they're going to decide on because I like the replayability of being able to spread the various planets out differently. But but I'm not a game designer. Good God, no, I'm not a game designer. <laughs> so anyway, there's hex tiles that's, that you're going to be moving your fleets around. If you move into an area, this is one thing I like, battle does not automatically occur. Typically in games, when you move into a place where somebody else is, you immediately fight. That's not the case here. Here you can move in. You can be peaceful. Or if you want to, you can say, "Uh, guess what? Uh, I'm going to fight you and we're going to attack each other. Now, one thing I liked about this, when you moved in with your ships, 
there were only four fleets on the board and the fleets were tracked on the player board as to how many ships are in that fleet. And they were all flipped over. So nobody knew what fleet was coming from where, how many were in that fleet. So one through four. So you may be moving it around and you move in there and until you expose it, then people don't know that, Hey, I've, I'm attacking with eight or Hey, I'm attacking with three. So how's that going? So there's a bluffing mechanic when you're going against other people. I like that. I'm not having to look over there and say, wait a minute, is that a battleship? Oh, whoa. Or is that a Corsair or, Oh wait, is that just a single fighter? I didn't have to worry about that because it was all tracked right there on my sheet. I could look over at your board and say, okay, maybe I'm going up against Marty's uh, fleet that has four. Oh, wait, I know his fleet of four is over there battling the big baddie that's in the center of the board. What? A big baddie? That's Mm. right. You heard me. A big baddie. Someone where we can all congregate and take out and get special bonuses if we win. And this was the when the real grumpy showed up. Uh, We all went after the big baddie, and I was the only one who lost his entire fleet, and I got nothing, nada, (laughs) zip, and that, oh, 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 mm. and all because I forgot to play one card, Marty. Yes, you have a choice when you're in the center going against the NPC or the big monster. You have a choice to fight or not to fight. You don't have to participate, but if you do, you do have a chance of losing your fleet, and or if you win, you, you do get something in return. Sweet rewards is what you get, Marty. You get sweet rewards. Another thing I like about the combat, too, is is you're rolling uh, dice based on the number of the fleet that you have and everything, but it depends on the weapons that you currently have. They're D6s, and they have uh, three different types of symbols. There's, I can't remember what they are, but there's one that has only, say, uh, one side, maybe just a circle, and I can't remember what order they are, but there's just one of that on each of every dice. You only have a one of six chance of getting it. If you upgrade your weapons, then... Maybe it's a square that has two squares on the dice. All right, now I've got a two and six chance of hitting. Or if you get to your level three weapons, then maybe it's the triangles and there's three triangles that's on the die. That means you had a 50% chance of hitting. Very, very simple concept. No numbers are needed whatsoever. It's all based on these symbols. symbols and depending on which level you have is what chance you have of hitting. Yeah, and then there's also the chance you keep expanding, then you go to crits. You got critical roles on that. And so everything about this game was very, I don't want to be mean and say it's simplistic, but it was, it was very fluid. And it definitely gave the feeling of a 4X because you can move your fleet out. You move it to a place that you haven't been before. You can explore it and you might get a quest card. This maybe it's a pick up and deliver. It's like, hey, uh, pick up this item and carry it over to this other planet over here and drop it off. And then you can expand, which we talked about, about uh, you know going out into the galaxy and putting your population down. You exploit the area by gathering those resources we talked about. We've already talked about exterminate. There's one other very, very, very cool mechanic that helps this game really move along. And it's a very simple thing. It's called the pass mechanic. On your turn, when you decide to pass, you don't want to take any more actions. There is a board out on the table with four different tracks. And you could put one of your tokens out on that board and then move up on one of the four tracks on that board. And each of those tracks may give you basically an additional token that you can put in one of those four spots we talked about earlier, tech, political, um, moving your fleet around, etc. So every time you pass, you basically get one extra resource to use on your turn. And that puts a lot of pressure on the other people that are still going because you are just getting free stuff 
while they're doing things. And that's what helps it move it along because those people are going to get sick of you getting free stuff and say, forget it, I'm passing, I'm out too. And another important thing is, Marty, that you don't have to spend all your resources. Once you've allocated them, they stay there even to the next round. Now, Mm -hmm. this thing is over in four rounds, if I remember correctly. How do you win, you ask? Well, the best and easiest way to win is challenge me to this game. (laughs) That's true. There are various objectives out on the board that if you accomplish certain, like maybe get 20 population out onto the board, then you will gain X amount of victory points. Or better yet, maybe you have beat a big baddie. Then that's another way to get some victory points. But also at the start of the game, you have the option to pick five personal goals that when you achieve those, you will get victory points at the end. So it's all about the victory points and the various goals that you're trying to achieve. And you can sit over there and watch how people are doing and tracking what they're doing. So it's all out there. Yes, I want to play this game again. And you're not a big 4X game, and neither am I. We timed it. After the rules were explained, we started at 6.30. We ended exactly 8.30 on the dot, and that's the first time we ever played. That may, that tells me that this game is probably maybe it's always going to be around two-ish hours. It just depends on how long you take allocating those resources. So if you're in for a forex type game, but you don't want to spend your entire afternoon playing Twilight Imperium or Eclipse, then you definitely want to check out Silver River that is now currently on Kickstarter. And finally, Tony, also released on March 5th is an expansion to a game that you and I played at Gen Con from Inside Up Games Summit, and this is the team's expansion. I didn't play this game at Gen Con. No, you didn't. You actually emceed this game at Gen Con. That's right. I tried to keep people entertained while you played this game. This game is from, again, like I said, Inside Up Games from Connor McGooey, and he's a great friend of the show, and it's like, hey... Guys, we're coming out with the Teams expansion. This adds some new cooperative modes, some new competitive modes. It also has new cards, new characters, a new type of tiles, ladders. Ladders are square tiles that allow players to traverse train more quickly. Because if you remember, Tony, this game was all about scaling a mountain and getting from your base camp to the top and then racing back down again. But along the way, people can be real jerks to you. Oh, yeah. Karma. It's not nice to you on the mountain. And this was a big hit for him. And now he has an expansion that's going to be out or it's currently out on Kickstarter. So please go and make sure to check that out too. That is the team's expansion for Summit the Board Game. And then finally, Tony. Thank goodness my wallet can't stand any more of this crap. I, I know, but this one comes out March 13th. So you've got uh, basically on the release of this, you got one day to save up money to pick up Glenmore 2 Chronicles, which we got a prototype of. This is by Funtel's Game and Matthias Kramer, the designer who did the original Glenmore. And this, Tony, is, is a very popular game. It's like in the top 250 rank on BGG. So it's a game that's well-loved. And now there's a brand new version of it that adds a new sideboard and this concept called Chronicles, where it's almost like these little additional expansions that you can have to add onto the game. You and I had never played Glenmore before, but we got to sit down recently and played it. Number one, it's got a Rondale. I'm into Rondale selection mechanics, so I was automatically into this game. There was a lot of strategy in that Rondale on which tiles you want to pick up. Oh, which brings us to the Tony reason why he's into it, tile placement. Mm. Beautiful mechanic of placing a tile, activating all the tiles around it. Very important strategy. 
So much going on there, a lot of strategy in that game. Somebody accused me of not paying attention, but by gosh, I walked away with a win. <laughs> you did walk away with a win. And if you haven't ever seen it, the Rondo mechanics really neat. Basically, you have a square and you got your player pieces around that square. The person who's last gets to move and select the tile that they want. Whoever's in the last position always gets to go. They take that tile and they put it onto their player board. The only stipulation is, is that you got to put it adjacent to another tile that has one of your Scotsman on it, one of your Scotsman token, which are little meeples. Once you do that, you get a one-time bonus for that tile, and then you get to activate every other tile that's adjacent to it. And those tiles will do different things. They'll give you different types of resources that you can use to turn into the market to get money, or use those with other tiles that you can trade in to get victory points. Whiskey's a big thing. It's all about making whiskey, Tony, over here in Scotland, because it has a Scottish theme. You're going to get some barley and trade in that barley and get some whiskey, because this game is played over the course of four rounds, there's A, B, C, and D tiles. And once you empty one of those tiles, you immediately do a scoring round where it counts things like the number of legacy cards that you've earned during the game, which are like instant cards that you get. It counts the number of whiskey bottles that you have. It counts the number of people that you've claimed. And I'll come back to people in a second. But Tony, the scoring mechanism for all these is something both you and I liked. It's not how many that you have. It's what you have compared to the person with the least amount. So if I have three barrels of whiskey and you've only got one, that's a difference of two. There's a little table that says, if it's a difference two, you get X amount. In this case, you would get two. The bigger difference you have between what you had and the last person had, the more points that you would get. So for me, I'll admit that was neat. And you could say, well, oh my heavens, I'm getting killed in this one area. There were certain tiles that gave you victory points as well whenever you would activate them. So that was a way to offset that, Marty, to kind mm -hmm. of make up the difference. How do I generate that? And as things move forward, you know, you kind of had to place your tiles appropriately. Now, one of the other neat mechanics about on the tile placement on my favorite side of the board is I like how there was a river that runs through it. And you had to orient tiles appropriately. And you had to have people near those tiles in order to place them. Also, there was the concept of overbuild. Now, having not played Glenmore, I don't know if that was in the original game, but I like it in this game where I'm able to replace. Let's say I'm done with trying to make my Highland Coos, you know, because there's cows in this game. So if I want to get rid of that pasture and I want to do something else, I can do an overbuild if that, if that tile allows it for that particular uh, pasture. So those were the concepts. I'm sitting there. I was digging the mess out of the game. This is probably moved up next to Stronghold Undead. This will this will probably be an instant back, but I'm going to be watching, seeing what's special, how they make this bad boy special. Another thing that they've added to this game for the original game was the sideboard, which was the uh, the clan board. When you There's some of the tiles that were just people, people of that area, like, uh, I was going to say Martin Wallace, but that is the wrong Wallace. It was... Uh, William Wallace. William Wallace. We changed the designer of Martin Wallace. Uh, so he's one of the people. Well, what that allows you to do is take another one of your markers and go over to this sideboard and you put one of your tokens in one of those sideboards on this map and it might be something that gives you like an instant resources or something like that and there's a start position and the further you are from the start position the more coins it takes to get out from beyond there but you always compare to where your closest piece is from before so if you start going down a path it's not going to be very expensive because at the end of these paths there might be these in-game victory point conditions that you're searching for that by the time you get to the fourth round and you have one of the markers there, it may be some in 
game scoring bonuses. So that is a new mechanic that did that did not exist in Glenmore. The additional thing is the Chronicles. There are additional tiles and uh, cards that you can implement into the game. And in the back of the rule book, it has, here's the rules for Chronicles 1, Chronicles 2, and they're going to introduce other Chronicles with additional cards. It's almost like little mini expansions, but you can use a single expansion, combine them and play them both. It adds a little bit of time to the game, but it just adds some variability and replayability to the game. I hate that I missed playing Glenmore the first time around, but now that I've played it, I'm so glad to see this new version coming out. And like you, Tony, I'm excited to own a copy of this game. Tony, this is a long episode for us. We typically don't like to run this long, but we got a lot covered, man. Are you kidding me? We've had three episodes that have been over an hour and a half. The Squirrelies were not. I don't count them. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, the squirrely, what were they, like 120? We shoot from one to one and a half. That's what it was. Yeah, I've got so much time in the bank right now. If this was a real job, I'd be walking out of here, you know, early. You're taking some time off. <laughs> clocking out. I'd be clocking out. It's not bad enough I already do that without even meaning to. So yeah, I'm glad that we got all that covered and we still got, and just think, we had a play date and we got to play games, got to play Glenmore. And we got to play Crisis, which we're going to talk about the next episode. And then you got to play Crusaders and you're going to teach me that so we can talk about that. Yes. Another great game from uh, Seth Jeffy and Tasty Mistral Games. Another, it's not a Rondell, this is a Mancala, which is like Trajan, but it plays in like an hour. It's like super Trajan light. Yeah, and I still want to play Teotihuacan. Um, I'd like to get that on the table. I've got a yes. flow chart created, ready for you guys to go, and it's just sitting there in the box waiting. And then this past weekend, I went over to a friend's, and I played um, Sushi Party Go and Biblios, and I'm telling you, man, it was just like a game time thing happening. That's a good thing we're doing a podcast about it then. And some people are probably thinking, really, why are y'all? No. So anyway, if Anything happens between now and our next play date, make sure that you have kept rolling up and taking names. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. When this episode comes out, there will only be a couple days left for the Board Game Geek Best Podcast Golden Geek nomination. Ooh, that's a mouthful. We would love your nomination. And if nominations are already out, and if we were so lucky to get one, we would love to have your vote. Thank you so much for supporting the show over all these years, and we'll see you next episode. Hey, Marty, it's that time of the year. For what? Get your lawnmower serviced. You ready? You ready for the cutting season? I've already had my yard treated and fertilized. Let's go, baby. have gloomhaven when it's out on the table does it look kind of 2d-ish because your standees aren't standing upright or maybe the dungeons don't look as good as you'd like them to well head over to thebrokentoken.com and see that incredible gloomhaven dungeon accessory pack there's 140 dollars worth of goodness in that pack that you can use not only for gloomhaven but also for all your other D&D experiences that you may want. This is their terrain pieces. They've got chests. They've got rubble. they got all kinds of stuff. I mean, if you're going to buy this stuff piecemeal, you might as well just go all in. Go check it out at thebrokentoken.com and be sure to check out the Gloomhaven Accessory Dungeon Pack.